I'll leave you with this with Dustin Chafin. Our friend Howard Dewey, Howie Dewey, he knew you were going to be on today. So he texted me a couple of things. He said, uh, how come you're so mean on the basketball court? <laughs> 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 you want an answer to that? Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm not mean on the basketball court. I'm just very, very aggressive when yeah. I play. And uh, it's funny because a lot of things have been coming out lately about as a kid, I guess I was a very, I was more of an artistic kid. I know you painted, you know, we mm-hmm. both. I was a fine artist. And then I guess I got mocked and mocked and mocked. And, and, and one of my friends wrote, you were the, you were a pussycat, and then you started lifting weights. <laughs> and I don't know. I think it was, I think it was um, my fear of violence led me to violence. Yeah? Yeah, where oh. I, so I'm, and also I wasn't getting picked to play. So when I was aggressive, I, was just I waiting. got picked to play. I was just waiting for an answer like, these bitches just can't play real basketball. That's what I, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, I, that's what I was waiting for. I was, I was you're, short, just like you're, these pussies. You're, you're, yeah. better at the, you're better at these sound bites. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more the Israeli answer, which is, yeah. oh, just sit down. This is going to be nine hours. <laughs> Hilarious. It is funny to me. It's funny to me, like, knowing comedians um, or hearing things or whatever from, you know, because it's like inside a comedy club, like you're one of like the most nurturing people ever. You know what I mean? So when people tell me things like, yeah, Steve almost like took this guy out. I'm like, what are you talking about? All that guy does is want to build people up and like, right, make, right. Them, <laughs> make them feel good about themselves and like, oh, you're a good comic. You're going to get better. And like, here's that. Here's some advice. And, right. you know, it's funny. He's on the court. He's like, fuck you. Get out of my way. Well, yeah. I think it's also because I was playing uh... – Chelsea is where I started playing in Manhattan. Yeah. And the you guys have kids... pants on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume nobody wears pants. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Chelsea. Hey. Hey. That's not Purell. That's gun oil. <laughs> Zip. <laughs> I guess I made the team, coach. <laughs> I'm going to Penn State. <laughs> Slam dunk. Good job. But uh, we were playing in Chelsea, and the kids from the Fulton Projects now, let me just say who came out of the Fulton Projects. Whoopi Goldberg, mm. all the Damon Wayans. I used to play ball with Sean and Marlon. But there's a lot of rough kids out of those those projects. And, in fact, Seymour Swan, Seymour. I knew Seymour yeah, as a sure. basketball player before a comedian. Seymour is a very, very um, – he's a very intimidating guy when he plays. And when he doesn't know you, like a lot of those guys from those projects, and especially if you're not black, which I'm not – you're sort uh, of black. Well, now I am. Yeah. Well, through initiation. In other words, but when I started out, they were like Jews are black. There's either the ones yes. that are totally white, and then the uh, the other side. I feel is a little more cultural. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, well, I'm or... a public school kid. I'm a street yeah. kid. Not yeah. all black people are, but a lot. But that's are. what you are. You come from where you come from. Like that's who you I'm are a flat as a person. Bush. Yeah, I'm a Flatbush yeah. kid. You can't tell me the Beastie Boys weren't black. You know what I mean? Like in the sense of who they were. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We took the bus. We took the train. Yeah. That's what it's we about. didn't belong to country club. We didn't yeah. belong to New York Health and Racket Club. We yeah. went to the Knight Center. Exactly. We 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 played ball with everybody of every race, you know. Yeah. So I'm playing ball with these guys, and some of them were literally gang guys who they would take a a uh, like a wire hanger, and and I'm not going to say the initial. Not this. I don't want to give away the gang. And they would burn it into oh, their into wow. the outside of their their tricep. And we would play with these guys. And I think sometimes when a guy with my skin color, white skin color tries to lock up a, a black ball player, they take it as disrespect at first. Yeah. And it Especially wasn't disrespect. The N-word. Yeah, that always <laughs> hurts it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's never good. That turn never that, turn that, that ding that, off. You yeah, need well, ding on. Thing, I, I just wrote everybody I'm on the radio. <laughs> well, turn and these, ding these, off. instead of that they just maybe we're adding up points. You know how to work that old man? Or take it up turn you did this little thing right here. Young, yeah. Can you give this to a young kid? <laughs> Can we get a millennial? That to doesn't always like, work. Well, I told you that. Here it right. is. Here right. it is. You got it's it? off. Okay. So, All right. so I was playing ball with these guys, and, uh, you know, they'll knock you down. They'll really sure. hurt you. And so I had to I had to be very aggressive. I had, I had to not attack but not back down. And we had one guy. We called him Tattoo Mike. He is a white kid who did a lot of prison time. Mm. I saw him once. He didn't like a guy. He was – so when he gave him – you know how you take the ball out, you know, at the, foul, at the free throw line? Yeah. He took the ball from six inches away and threw it right into his face. Wow. 
And uh, this, there was a lot of antics. Yeah. There was a lot of antics like this going on at this particular court. Sure. So I don't think I'm mean, but I think I think it's the opposite. I think stand a your ground a little. One hundred percent. I think I think mm-hmm. a lot of. Especially as a white guy. <laughs> I'm Jewish. There you go. Yeah. I was using the N-word, nosh. <laughs> Anyone want to nosh? Well, it is funny. Well, two things I want to back up. Um, just about kind of what you were saying about like where we come from and who we are. And somebody the other day was trying to, uh, they just said white privilege, like in my vicinity. And I just looked at it. I said, you know, it's like I was born in a trailer park. My grandparents were old. Like I remember getting government cheese at the back of a truck with my grandparents and my mom and stuff. It's like. First of all, government cheese is government cheese. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's not. There's no. There's no. There's no, no color yeah. associated. No discrimination. Right. Just a weird yellow color. That's that's right. all the yellow cheese. Uh, but it's yeah. But it's like that's the thing when people say privilege or white. White is like is so complex. Whatever that negative. You know what I mean? Like it's so. There's so many uh, shades of white, and not only literally, but figuratively. You know, or just our culturally, like how we're. You know how we we're all brought up completely different. You know, and just to think that, like, you know, especially now with all the press and like negativity and stuff, I think people want to just assume white is bad. And it's just like, you know, I was watching um, the other day, I was talking to my girls. There was somebody, there was a comic on stage, and they were basically doing the, you know, white people, you know, just don't get it kind of thing. And then we were just kind of like, we get it. Like, there's a lot of white people do get it, and we're not. Like trying to be that type of, you know what I mean? Trying to, and I also think sometimes with the comedians that are talking about that, they've never even had these experiences. They oh, just yeah. watch another comedian, yeah, do a joke. White people are like this, black people are like that. Oh, we got to laugh, so I'll do the same topic yeah. with no spending. There's time. There's so many comments. I don't want to rat them out, but I think I might. <laughs> 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 like I'll see someone like Nori Davis, who I think is a phenomenal comedian. Right. I'd really do. I've, uh, he's one of my cubs. I brought him up. Right. He's a guy. He's he's really funny. Nice guy. A nice sweetheart of a right. guy, and he's really like he's got. He always writes new material. Right. And he's prolific. And uh, and then he gets on stage and he turns kind of into this yo my dad inward yeah, right. dad and you're just like that's not you bro that's an affectation that's, not you. that's an affectation now I know Dory Davis really yeah. well do you know what Nori Davis really did as a sport it's not basketball graphic and design it's not yeah <laughs> he's a graphic designer like he went he to was, school for that he was a street race car driver he is a high speed. <laughs> What do you call just like a drag racer in the streets? Like fast Not and like furious? professional. Yeah, like that. Why okay. doesn't he talk about that? That's so that's yeah. so interesting. Really? I didn't see that coming. I was, yeah, yeah, exactly. I was thinking. Because again, just like, what were you thinking? The sweater black guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Howard. <laughs> I mean. Give me a G. Not even you know, Howard. Give me an A. Not even Howard. Howard. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I when you're when you're a black is it is it is it is it fair to really major in African studies? I mean, that's a no brainer. That should not be allowed, right? <laughs> right, that should not be right. Exactly, he's trying to get a job, so uh, not probably a good idea. Right. But it is funny because you know I've talked about it before, but you know I remember you know managers have told me to kind of. They said, you know, how come you don't have more of a southern accent or why don't you, you know, up Larry the Cable Guy it up or whatever. Right. You know, and it's uh, first of all, that's an act, you know, like Larry the Cable Guy doesn't talk like that. You know, he's a regular dude. Mm-hmm. You know, even Chris Rock doesn't talk like that. Like, there's, it's funny how people, you know, it's like this, it's sort because we know so many people, the stage, and then we know them as mm-hmm. people. And so and that's, that's kind of the theme of today, like me on stage and then sure. I'm, a, I'm a pussycat we'll and then also put me in a basketball court <laughs> and I'll kill You're you. You're a son of a bitch. <laughs> I think I'm they should bad. put you on the Knicks. I think, they, they, I think they need you this year. Well, also because to make yeah. these teams also, I had to play defense because yeah. in basketball, I'm a good offensive player, but I'm more mm. of a passer. Okay. And so... I made every team by diving for the ball. And that goes back to what you're saying about government cheese. Yeah. Maybe guys like you and I, and you're an artist, a fine artist like myself. And, uh, but, uh, we had to dive for every ball. That's the way you, that's the way we grew up, you know? Yeah, no. So I just think it's funny when, whenever comedians do anything that's not comedy is always, uh, it's just really fascinating to me how it's usually pretty ridiculous for the most part. You know, it's like, even with the basketball stuff, it's like, Every other comic breaks their ankle or something. Like, they're always, it's almost like they're trying to, you know, especially if they're playing with other comedians. I feel like there's some sort of like 
trying to prove to somebody on the court, or I don't know what it is, but every other week I hear that some comic just injured themselves because they were playing a friendly game of basketball with comedians. <laughs> it always keeps me away from doing that. Yeah, well, I played my, you know, I started when I was 12 or 13, which is late in Brooklyn. I played yeah. street ball my whole life. Yeah. And that's what I was doing uh, in the 80s and 90s. I'd be playing six days a week, three hours a day. I would literally come off the court, yeah. run home, shower and yeah. race off to New York Comedy Club to get on stage. So yeah. it's a, you know athletics have always been a I big think part we, of my life. I think we should do like a comedy fight club and then like so somebody like lifts your material then it's like, you know, match. Like you just like you fight for that material. And that's the point. There's no <laughs> but it's true in a way there's no accountability. These guys have these guys and women have, they steal all the time. There's no accountability yeah. for it. Didn't we talk about this and they always tell you the same thing is when I tell I think somebody took one of my bits they go well, you need to confront that person, <laughs> and every time you confront you confront someone that you stole stole the material, you stole my material. They go off on you <laughs> like an yeah. animal. Yeah, no, I don't want to go down that you know wormhole. But uh, I, let's go back to the government cheese and how <laughs> and the white privilege. How about, how about I'll just I'll guide this. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, in that case, can I get a donut? <laughs> you had your chance, but uh, they were incompetent over at Dunkin' Donuts. That always drives me insane, just like uh, when there's always like three or four people working in an establishment, and then it's just like, you know, it's like, I don't know, I'm just such a go-getter to like take care of people that I always go crazy when people don't like, you know what I mean, like step up, like I don't understand that, you know, it's like you're over there like just folding napkins or something, you know, there's a long line. Like, jump in, man, you know what I mean? Like, right, exactly. Jump in and help out. Like, you know, I'll, you know what I mean? You This needs to go quick. I got that look in my eye, like I'm late for a podcast. <laughs> 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 just jump in. Help me out. <laughs> well, that's the diving for every ball thing. Di- I mean, there you go, diving for the ball. That's how you make the team, by being aggressive, by not being lazy. You know, I even watch at the end of a show, if I don't have to go to another show, I hang out afterwards and try and meet the people and... It's yeah. not like a job, you know. In well, other we, words, oh, oh, easy. We all know why you're hanging out, so you why? can sell your DVD and. <laughs> You, I haven't sold the yeah. DVD since 1895. <laughs> since that's the only thing I'll tell you that YouTube and everything they put us out of business. Hilarious. How do these guys sell T-shirts? I don't even know. Uh, you know, there's always some schmuck that'll buy a stupid phrase. You know what I mean? On a T-shirt, and it's always some ridiculous thing too. But T-shirts move. I think that's the. Uh, out of all, I've done a lot of research on what moves mm-hmm. and what doesn't move, and CDs are useless. You know, I had a backfire CD situation, um, and I'm going to talk to you about this later. But uh, I sold a guy's CD, you know, whatever, uh, and like last year in Indianapolis. And then I played the club like a year and a half later, and I was on stage, and the guy was like, yo, that's on your CD. <laughs> and he was like pissed off that I was in a brand new hour. And I was just like, sorry, dude. I mean, I mean, I mean, I appreciate you buying the CD, <laughs> but I got to work here. You know what I mean? I love it. It's like, it's really funny when you get mad at a fan. You know? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Where it's just like, but you know, it was kind he of was auditing weird. you. Oh, like weird. Rodney Dangerfield might crazy. say, if yeah. he were alive, I don't get no respect again. Yeah. I know I'm crazy with this microphone. No, you're, just, you're just a little close. That's all. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, I'll tell you one thing that doesn't sell: funny yarmulkes. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the room. You yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. Well, how many synagogue gigs can you do? <laughs> That's Modi. <Yeah. laughs> oh my! <laughs> I saw him last the other night. It was just like ah, he's always. It's so funny. It's like he's a good guy and he's funny and whatever, and he has his place in this business. But he just. You know those guys that just they just want to roast when they come into the room, and you're just like, stop! Like I don't know you well enough to do that. I I come from a place where I'll punch you. Like don't don't say those things to me. You know what I mean? Like he's one of those guys that likes to roast as soon as he comes in, and you and you're not ready for it. You know? And then it's like, and then you start to kind of roast back, but it's something awful and racist. So you're like, I can't say that. You know what I mean? Like it goes through your brain. Like I'm glad I didn't say that. So then it takes you another minute. You give it an opportunity. It was funny because he came in and called me Boss Hog or something, and it just and it was funny. But I was like. Shut up! You know, I'm like, yeah. I was like, I don't know you like that, and so that he's starting to leave, and then he says, he's just like, yeah, the comic show. I haven't been here in a long time, and then and then I have my opportunity. It's like, wow, I know the club's been better because of it, right. and, then, right. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's a good one, and then it's like, but then after that, and then I realize that's all he wants is just this playful. But in my head, I'm just like, fuck this guy. But then when it's over, 
It's just like that's just how he dances with comics. And I think a lot of it has to do with kind of that comedy seller table and that whole kind of mentality of kind of comics just feeling like they have to kind of play and roast like that. I'm so you glad know. you said that yeah. because whenever I go on a podcast, I'm always thinking, is this going to be a roast of me? Because I'm not oh, that's really. That's coming. I... Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the call. And... That's, that's the last 10 minutes. <laughs> oh, we have oh, a wait, call. Mo- Modi's on the line. <laughs> but I, I find that the comedians like. Lenny Bruce, that all the comedians supposedly worship, and Richard Pryor, yeah. are people that became more vulnerable, sure. not people that like I think I think I've gotten healthier from doing comedy by being able, as Dan Vitale used to say, "Folks, may I take off the comedy mask?" Yeah, you know? it's really unfortunate. Nobody knows who that is, and that that it's as far as the starting generation of comedians. They don't even care. They don't even know who Don Rickles is. They don't care. No, they know who Rickles is. But a lot of people don't know Dan Vitale because, you know, he, he kind of it, – it, it's kind of a tragic story, you know. It's like he – kind of a rise and fall of a really funny guy. And, I, and a lot of – you know, he was a guy because uh, when, when I first started comedy – he was like he was the Atel. He was like the guy everybody watched. He was like the mm-hmm. comedians would line up in the back and kind of watch this guy. And he was, he was on SNL, and it was like this whole thing. And it was just like, you know, it was just his, his impression. He would do impressions, and they were spot on. And he was like this edgy guy with a long ponytail, and like you know, it was like. And this... he was very personal with his material. And uh, Danny, Danny, Danny could skewer you. Yeah. And when he skewered you, it was a compliment. When Rich Voss, like we talk yeah. about roasting people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, these people should not be roasting people. They should be working on their act. You haven't even reached yeah. a point where you should be roasting people. And, sure. and like you said also, like like my instinct, I am a yeah. nice guy, but my instinct when you hit me yeah. is to return very hard. Maybe you felt that with Modi. You're like, oh, I don't want to hit too hard. <laughs> Because I they want, don't know. I don't you... want to say something anti-Semitic, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> so... That's what I was going to I think if you're Jewish. Jesus Christ, you guys thought that. I, I think if you're Jewish, <laughs> or you know what I mean, yeah. you might not want to start the fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing. But, there's so uh, many things to go for. But but now back to uh, Vitaly. Vitaly. So there's, a, you know, it's interesting, though, because, you know, you're one of those comics, too, which uh, that I, you know, when I first started comedy that I got to kind of, you know, kind of as I'm pushing a mop in the back and, you know, kind of trying to figure things out as the bus boy slash, you know, whatever I was at the New York comedy club, Mm -hmm. you know, back in the day. And so it was an interesting moment for me because it was like, you know, it's, that's why I always tell the comics, like, forget open mics, you know, scrub a toilet and you'll get funny, you know, (laughs) find a way to like kind of do whatever it takes that, that kind of that, that, that last thing you ever thought you'd be doing you know, whatever it takes, like that will make you kind of put you in a humble place. And then it's like in being in that humble place, you, you know, you have a tendency to, to look up and watch and respect. And I always get mad at comics when, you know, the new guys come in the back and they just hang out with us. I'm like, you haven't earned this yet. Like, you don't need to be sitting here with me yet. Mm-hmm. You need to be watching all those comics. Well, you, know? it's, you need it's to what be you absorbing say. that. It's in the, the lack of humility. Mm-hmm. And I think when Pete Corrielli also. He gave me the job. Uh, was was yeah. a mop boy. At, he gave me the job. You know yeah. what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think you have to have some humility or some Otto, Otto and George, Otto used to say, if you didn't suffer, you're not going to be funny. And that brings us back to oh, Dan I Vitale. I thought you were going to say George uh, pushed a mop. <laughs> <laughs> he had like a little mini mop. <laughs> Could you imagine like... that? That's how Otto, Otto got ahead. He's like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, cocksucker, it's making me mop. <laughs> <laughs> She went down on me like she was drowning, and the balls contained the oxygen. <laughs> and that's who I got to watch. Yeah. I got to watch, sure. when I was a young comedian, Otto and George, and, yeah. and I got to open for Rich Voss. And both of these guys showed me, they opened the door, and they showed me that I could be more like the guy I was with my friends. And I could be a little edgier, and then I pushed the door a little more. Yeah. And... Uh, Going back to Dan Vitale, I was thinking of him yesterday. You know, everybody wants to do Letterman and Colbert and have all those credits. But the one thing you can't take away from Dan Vitale when he's in the room is... Why don't you give us a little history of who he is? Because people... So Dan and I started many years ago, and uh, we did, like... There were no comedy clubs to perform in. Okay, Dan is Italian, I'm Jewish. And I remember we'd be doing a place... Literally, we would do, like... uh, Beefsteak Charlie's, you'd sign up with singers. This is the 80s. 
and you'd be performing, and there'd be a salad bar, and people going up and taking salad, and uh, there was there weren't the eight. Set. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do a gig where I got salad. I love salad bars. I just love them. So do I. <laughs> there used to be one yeah. right by the right by the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. Tracy Esposito and I. I love salad bar. By the way, it's booked by right to salad bar. Booker at crouton.com. So uh, so we would go anywhere. And I was telling Chris Murphy this the other day. I remember one day Dan Vitale turns to me and he says, hey, you know, Marshall, I'm thinking of like, maybe I'll do this same act a couple of nights. Because every night we would just go on and just ad-lib the whole show. He goes, I'm thinking of auditioning at the improv. You know, maybe, maybe Marshall, I'll, I'll put five minutes together, the same five minutes. And so Danny went over and passed at the improv. Now, you got to know, this is in the 80s when maybe there were 10 comedy clubs in America. There were no franchises. Nobody was doing comedy. And he became well-known, and I guess yeah. Saturday Night Live came in, and him and Damon Wayans got on Saturday Night Live, and Danny will tell and it you. Was, and that's the thing, too, is like getting on Saturday Night Live in the 80s was different than getting on Saturday Night Live now. Like, that was huge, because it was, there was still Chevy Chase. There was still, like, he did, I think, or did he, Chevy Chase wasn't on, but he, I think there was an, ep, I think there was a story where they were on together. I don't know if he guest-hosted Chevy Chase or something. I heard there was some story. Well, I'm sure he was there yeah. with Bill Murray. He was. Okay. Okay. You know, and I'm sure Dan Aykroyd was there. Oh, so it was still that time. Yeah, and then okay. Damon Wayans came okay. in, too, and they both did a season. But Danny, and Danny will tell you this, because I'm not saying anything he doesn't do when he does his show. Danny uh, got attracted to drugs, and he yeah. does that famous joke where he says, you know, folks, you'll think when you're on drugs and you hit rock bottom, when you hit that pavement, you think you've gone as low as you can go. But let me tell you something, folks. That pavement's got a lot of give. <laughs> There's still plenty. He was the first yeah. guy, I think, to really say, you know, I was having sex or watching sex with a dump, uh, dumpster transvestite, and then sure. everybody stole that from him. Yeah. So Danny, Danny did have, and then Danny, <laughs> then Danny got a, a little mad one night at the improv and uh, broke the glass uh, window with his fist. But okay. Danny was Happens. so funny. I've been <laughs> there. I've been there. Yeah. So Danny was so funny. He kept getting. Uh, asked back. And that's what I was trying to say. One yeah. thing about Dan Vitale that 99% of other comedians will never have, which means more than any credit. Everybody in the room knows when Dan Vitale is in the room that he's the funniest guy in the room or that he's funny. And we yeah. see. And I was thinking about that the other day because, you know, maybe my career hasn't gone as far as I want it to. But I hope that people at least go, that guy's that guy's an authentic. I'm not saying I'm the funniest, but that guy's authentically funny. Well, I'm definitely gonna get into all that, but um, just backing up too. Yeah. Um, I feel like, um, yeah, it's like I drank away about ten years of my comedy, and you know, it's like I burned all these bridges, and you know, had problems at this club and that club, and really just kind of pissed away a good chunk of my comedy, you know. And I feel like I spent the past. 10 years kind of rebuilding that and I think that's and that's a, the beautiful thing about the arts is like uh, there's always room for an ex drug addict you know like you can, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not like it's not like teaching kids or anything like yeah. if you're a drug addict and some shit goes wrong you could climb back up and start working again you know like, right. or you can kind of reinvent yourself and get better and just, you know, start to mend, you know, relationships and stuff. And also you've had yeah. that experience. I think the audience feels that on you, Dustin. The audience feels you've been through something. <laughs> yeah, no, Seriously. I'm not quite talking about it yet, but I think But they still yeah. feel it on you because I'm getting when, there. when an actor does their homework, even if the actor is sitting on a bus, the audience should feel, I think that guy's a murderer. Because yeah. you sit like a murderer, you have sort of a vibe... So I think people feel feel that yeah. on you that you have you've been through shit. Yeah, and I you know I just but uh, but anyway he's a great guy. I'm going to try him on the show. I think it's be, Ooh, uh, Danny. Yeah, yeah, you should, damn yeah. And I want to say that about Rich yeah. Voss too because I'm not going to have Rich Voss on the show. <laughs> 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 no, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna put myself through that. Yeah. Well, so the the other day I post something on I post something on Facebook, and it's me taking the train from Brooklyn to New York City, and I write that I have this look that I adopted as a kid to keep people away from me, right? Okay. And it did. I had to have a look. The D train was very dangerous, and Rich Voss writes. Just do five minutes of your act. <laughs> That'll keep them away. <laughs> now, the difference is that is so funny and somehow so loving 
You know what I'm trying to say? It's so different yeah. than a guy who just is. That's how Rich expresses himself. And yeah. Rich is another no, guy. It's who's, funny. It's funny. I, it's hilarious. But, you know. He but. saw me in a tuxedo jacket. You know, when like I was kind of wearing a tuxedo jacket and a, a black t shirt, black jeans. And I like this, you know, guys wear a satin tuxedo jacket. Yeah. And I reached in my pocket to get a Kleenex. And he, he just ad lived it so fast. Rich just goes, What are you going to pull out a dove? <laughs> <laughs> and that's another thing I love. I love my fellow comedians. I love yeah. when you guys make me laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's you take it well, and you're definitely because it's a gold mine. the way you do it. I am a gold mine. <laughs> I want to say that. I know I'm a gold. I know I'm so vulnerable. It's fun though. Um, so I've you know I've known you my entire comedy career, and um, yeah, you know it's like uh, it's, it's been you know like I said you were one of those guys I got to watch, and then one thing you know I learned you know I feel like. A lot of people do comedy for different reasons, and um, you remind me. You know, I work with T.J. Miller a lot, and you're you're one of those guys too, where it's just like you're addicted to laughs, and you're addicted to energy from the crowd. And there's different comedians that there's not everybody has that. You know, not everybody has this addiction to um, the crowd. You know, you have a pure like need help addiction to to hearing laughter, and so it's and it motivates your comedy and I think it's like and it's also what I learned from you was you know it's there's a conversion process that happens in comedy and I feel like you know you you know you allow this thing to happen during your comedy where it's like a lot of times it's like people will maybe be laugh at something that they normally would never laugh at and I think that is what is uh Interesting to watch when I see you on stage because I feel like people people don't come in thinking they're going to laugh at half the shit they laugh at when you're on stage. <laughs> Women squirting, fat girls, and Asians, and this. And you just go all in. And it's like, you know, and it's funny to watch you, like, literally shake the stick out of their ass. And so I feel like I have a lot of that from watching you. It's like, shake the stick out. There's nothing off limits. As long as you can bring it to a funny place, you know. And a place of humanity. Yeah. Neither you nor I has any intention of being malicious. Yeah. It's Depends just... on the crowd. <laughs> there's some crowds. You're the best. There's some crowds I'm like, yeah, go fuck yourself. But most crowds, yes. You're the best, Dustin. I'll come in sometimes at Greenwich Village Comedy Club and you'll go to me. Go at them. You'll just yeah, you'll give just me slap them in the face. You, you they really deserve it. Give me the no, green light. They do, and you're kind of like that guy that comes in and like, um, you know, like the gimp or like uh, just the guy with the, like the gladiator that's got like the two swirl things and the chains <laughs> yeah. and like, oh shit, I don't want to fight this guy. But it's like, uh, but the yeah, same guy from the basketball court. To be <laughs> yeah, honest, that's how I am on the court. Yeah, no, but it's, uh, but yeah, sometimes it's like whenever they're too PC or whatever, you're a funny guy to like put on at the end because I feel like it's like, okay, watch this. Like it's, it's really funny to me when I know how uptight they are and then I know you're don't you next. Think, don't you think that's part of the joke with me is not the material. Part of the joke is like people come to see me and they go, we just like to watch the audience because we know what you're yeah. going to say, how over the top, and yeah, just yeah, to yeah. watch how people react oh, to it. yeah. Half of us are just watching like how you're just going to, like that corner table has been uptight all night. We just want to, we're, we're focusing in on them and how mortified they're going to be with the, the dad with his two daughters or when you get off stage. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I'll just say like how I want to have a threesome with the two. I mean, I'm just going off the cup, but that's yeah. what I would say. I want to have a threesome with your yeah. daughters and dad, can you go for coffee and yeah. everything? At least yeah. you know who's banging the two of them. You know what I mean? At least you know I'm banging them. I don't have a disease. I'll wear exactly. a condom. So just to get yeah. that thing going, I, I don't like vanilla comedy. Right, you're either too far or too uh, too close to the mic. You can't. You got to find an even it's ground. It's like my act. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's no even There, there really right here, is. Right here's good, right there. Dustin there literally, Perfect. Perfect. I'm the only guest. He has to hold his hand like a salad bar guard for where I'm supposed to be. How long have you been doing this? You can't work a mic? Come on, all, I don't even use one anymore. Now, you know, that's the new oh. thing. The past two years, I don't use a microphone. I don't yeah, go yeah. on stage. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know what to say anymore. 
Can I tell the story about just quickly about no. how? What okay. story? Let me guide. Let me bring you in for. It. Nobody knows who all you right, are right now. All right. Yeah. Nobody does that. <laughs> That's the title. Me, Dan Vitale, <laughs> Maury Fogel. I'm sorry to put Maury. Yeah. Maury Fogel. Uh, now you're talking. Yeah. Now we're getting some. Yeah. Tell them who greatest I am. hits. I'd like to hear who Look, I am. There you go again in the back. I'm not. I know. I'm I nine thousand. I had feet. audio problems last week. I need this to be a sharp episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm gonna lose listeners if they think we got shitty mics. Now, now you're too close. Hello out there. There in you podcast. That's not, see how nice that sounds? Beautiful. <laughs> see, because you're not yelling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know, trying to get Steve Marshall to not be loud is a very difficult situation. Like, this is not easy. <laughs> he loves to go full throttle. Yeah, I'm pouting now. You oh, can't you're see pouting. that. You I have both. Yeah. You, have a, you have a good voice when you pout. You have a nice voice. Yeah, so I don't know. How do you see me? I don't. It's, I'm trying it's been to bring a... you in. I'm All trying right, to tell you how in. I see you. I've been telling you how I see you. What are you talking about? <laughs> just told you you're the guy that shakes the stick out of their ass <laughs> oh yeah that's you're right the guy that rattles the cage that was giving you all those compliments yeah, and yeah. now you're moping about me not wanting to have a bad audio <laughs> <laughs> i do i comics do are just ah i, I do go to it. mope very oh, fast mopeville jesus christ comics so uh so yeah i've known you my whole comedy career and it's been interesting to you know different the different places we've played and the different you know scenarios and different clubs and you know, it's it's always it's always fun to see you. I'm glad you're on the show today. Um, you've done a lot of interesting things in comedy. You've opened and worked with a lot of people throughout this whole comedy, you know, chaos thing that we do. And I think you've you know have a very interesting comedy life, and uh, been on the Bobby Flav show, <laughs> which is fun. That it was it's great. always fun when comics have like. Uh, Richard Ronovich did it too, and it's just always funny when he's like, "So we're doing? I was on this cooking show." <laughs> you're just like, "What? What do you mean cooking show?" And then I didn't even know they did comics on there. You know what I mean? That's they a, did a lot. Eddie Brill did it. I mean, a lot of people yeah. did it. Todd Barry. We and it was just, and a, yeah. My yeah, mother yeah. actually appreciated that. Oh, I saw you on Bobby Flay. You oh, know, she was so impressed by that. That's so funny. It's like I think it's really cool. I'm not shitting on it because I love to cook. I just I just think it's funny that like. They'll work comics into anything, but know? it's no, it is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. When they, yeah. so, I purposely have people introduce me as being on CNBC, <laughs> and and the Food Network because what comedian would have that? You want Letterman? You want Colbert? <laughs> I have the most esoteric credits, and if I keep saying esoteric, <laughs> I'll never be famous. <laughs> So Bobby Flay and I were cooking. He's an Irish Manhattan guy. I'm a Brooklyn Jewish guy. And innocently or not, so he turns to me and he goes, we're using kosher salt. And he goes, you know why we use kosher salt? I said, because it's cheaper. And they kept it on the air. That was That's a great. very interesting week of shows. It, it is funny that you said that about your mom being impressed by the flag of the flag. My family was impressed that I was on Fox News. That's, that tells you where my family is. <laughs> 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 Showtime, HBO, none of that. But uh, Fox News, that's huge. So, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Marshall in the building. Yay. I'll give you a little, little I'm the studio audience. <laughs> Great to have you on the show. Thanks for being here and uh, clearing out your basketball schedule. For, I know afternoons, I'm sure that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Steve, that's Steve time. Yeah, I love playing <laughs> basketball. You know, uh -huh. I took up kung fu late in life. I, yeah. I, like you fought in the ring, I fought in the ring. Yeah. I guess uh, that's the duality of it. I think as a child, I was just a painter and a fine artist, and I was picked on, and I was scared. You know, I was yeah. very, very scared. And then I started lifting weights, and the kids backed off, and I started yeah. playing football. Yeah. And I moved in another direction, and I think... Uh, I think I'd still be painting, but I got angry. So when did you it. when did you start comedy? What's uh, just uh, like, when I tell what, you, you what won't age? believe it. You don't have to tell me the year. Just tell me the age. I do want to tell you the you year because okay. it's that sickening, but also important. <laughs> it is important. The yeah. first time I ever went on stage was 1977. Does everybody hear that? Wow. 1977. <laughs> Star Wars came out there. Yeah. <laughs> it's before Star Wars. <laughs> They had talkies. I, I've been doing it so long, I didn't go to open mic night. I went to open shout night. <laughs> there was a guy with a stovepipe hat, but he quit and became something else in politics. politics. I can't even speak. Who goes to the dentist and gets Novocaine before they come to a podcast? So uh, I have to hold one lip. That's why I'm like... Bleh, bleh, bleh. So in 1977, Catch a Rising Star was one of the biggest clubs in America. We would watch The Tonight Show... And a guy, David Say, was on, and Johnny Carson said, 
Well, here's a guy I saw. I went into Catch a Rising Star on the Upper East Side, and I thought he was funny, and we're bringing here for you David Say. So I said, wow, Catch a Rising Star. There were no comedy clubs in America. I stood online at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I got number 35. You know what it's like going on number 35? They told me to be there at 10 p.m. I went in at 2 a.m. There were eight people in the audience. I bombed so badly. I went home in a taxi cab crying, called my girlfriend in Rochester to New York. She was wonderful about it. I'm sleeping by, you know, yeah. and I didn't go on. I think I went on the next night at the bitter end at an open mic and didn't go on stage for another year. I was so traumatized. Then in 1978 or whatever, I came back to New York and I auditioned and I went to, no, 77. That same day, I went to Catch a Rising Star after four o'clock. A lovely young lady said, we're going over to the comic strip. It's a new club. And I walked in and did five minutes for some booker at the comic strip. Yeah. It, w it was unknown. That's how long I've been doing comedy. Yeah. It's beautiful, though. Okay, because you started, you know, when it started to get good, when, com when it all started to come together. Because I feel comedy was, before that, it was... Um, you know, there were lots of great comedians before that time. Like, I feel like this, Lenny Bruce's and Mort Saul's and Carlin's and mm -hmm. Pryor and all this stuff was happening. But it's like, you know, it's kind of like jazz where it's like there was so much great jazz happening, but you had to get the people into the jazz before mm -hmm. it could actually blow up. And I feel like, you know, that particular time is when it was just starting to be the boom they call it, you know? my yeah. instincts were correct my instincts i wanted to be a comedian i'd seen comedians on the tonight show and then i saw steve martin and after i saw steve martin that's the guy that pushed me over i saw steve martin and he was so smart pretending to be stupid and that's what i did my whole life uh i was very educated but to get along with the other kids i would dumb it down yeah to get along with them and i said i'm gonna play an idiot which is, uh, which is what my whole first maybe 10 years of, of, of show business were. So I got to see ten. Ev the, first, <laughs> the first 10 out of the 50. <laughs> Think about this. I've done comedy in the 70s, the yeah. 80s, the 90s, the aughts. What's the next? What do you call the 10s? I don't know what it's even know. calling now. We'll be dead by so now. So in five decades, <laughs> I, met, I met Andy Kaufman. Wow. Well, who was he like? Uh, amazing. Nope. Andy Kaufman walked into a, a place where we were doing a Wednesday night show. Joey Novick booked it in the in 1983 or 84. Yeah. It was a tiny little room. Again, this before there's a lot of comedy clubs. And Andy walked in and every comedian was kissing his ass. And for some reason, I turned to Andy and I said, Andy, get in the room and practice. Because I knew he was an improv guy. I said, Andy, get in the room and practice your show. I'm going to go get coffee, and I'll be right back to see how you're doing. And Andy never met me, just played along with it and kept nodding his head. He was I think he just loved the fact we were doing a scene. And he had the most gentle blue eyes. And I told everybody for 10 years before the Milos Foreman movie came out, Man in the Moon, I said, this guy, Andy Kaufman, when I looked at his blue eyes, there was a serenity, a peacefulness, a soulfulness. And sure enough, in the movie, you see he did a lot of transcendental meditation and whatever. Yeah. Uh, Damon Wayans used to watch me perform. He was 19 years old. He was very, very timid. He nice. said, I wish I could be as loose as you. Uh, Sam Kinison, we all went to see Sam Kinison in the My 1980s favorites. when Caroline's was first on 26th and 8th or 9th Avenue. And I knew the booker, Campbell McLaren, and he wouldn't put me on, but I was invited to everything. The story of my life. Always invited. They liked me. Yeah. And uh, Campbell went on to start UFC. You can look him up, Campbell McLaren. He used to book sweeps and carillons. And we went to see Sam Kinison in front of 150 people before he blew up big. Um, again, again I, was, I was very lucky. I was talking about this the other day. Well, how was that? Like, you know, it's like, it's interesting to like, just to see comedians, you know, comedians are always a little bit different before they, you know, get the fame. You know what I mean? Like, there's always kind of like a, you know, a different like stage thing that happens, I think, when, you know, somebody's hungry, if you will. You know what I mean? I think yeah. Sam knew he was hot and it was yeah. happening. And everybody, there's a big difference when people are coming to see you. When everyone in the room came to see Sam yeah. and he was hot now, he wasn't, it wasn't an affectation. He was doing his thing, but he knew damn well everybody was there to see him. Yeah, yeah. And everybody was there, was there to see him. I want to tell a quick Dangerfield story because it reminds me of Sam Kinison. One night, 
uh, I went on stage at Dangerfields, and my opening line was, there were 200 people there, and I said, I shot a load in my fish tank. And within 20 minutes, 180 people walked out. <laughs> I mean, you don't know how bad it is. If they at least just all walked out, but they took like 20 minutes to walk out, and you're just up there going, I suck, I suck, I'm going to get in trouble with the booker, I'm never going to be back here again. 40 people left, and that basketball guy, the tough guy in me said, well, there's 40 people here, move up front, because you must have liked it. Yeah. And that's important to understand that just because people walk out on you doesn't mean you're not funny. They just didn't have your taste or whatever. Your execution was no good. And I did another hour. And when Tony came in, I said, I better tell Tony I walked 180 people before the comedians and other people really embellish this story. Yeah. And I go, Tony, I'm so sorry. I walked 180 people. He thought I was bragging. <laughs> He turned to me and he goes, that's nothing. Kinnison walked the whole room the first night. <laughs> now, years later, he told me what Kinnison did. Kinnison, the first time he went on, because Rodney loves Sam at Dangerfields, just a regular night, he's wearing the long coat. And somebody must have said, why are you wearing a long coat? And Kinnison touched it and went, maybe I have a rifle under here. Oh, wow. And Tony said <laughs> they didn't walk. They, they all ran out. <laughs> Everybody ran out. And then Rodney goes, hey, babe, you know, we want to, uh, I'm thinking of putting Sam on uh, the HBO special. And Tony's like, I don't know if you want to put that guy on. I don't know if he's under control. He walked up. No, he's a funny guy. Don't worry. I vouch for him. He's okay, you know? Hilarious. So in those days, you could walk people. Andrew Dorfman at Uncle Funny's, who I think Chris Rock was there six weeks before me, I walked nine people. Mm. And instead of getting yelled at, he said to me, if you're not walking people, you're not funny. It's that old adage, if you're making everybody yeah. laugh. Did you see that on Crashing where Colin Quinn said, when you see a guy killing for 45 minutes, you know he's got to be a hack. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that, yeah. but there was, there was a certain, in the, when there wasn't so much well, money interesting. to be made. Let's talk a little bit. Um, the, crashing is interesting because I feel like, I'm curious how somebody who was, you know, kind of here for guys like, you know, Colin Quinn and all that stuff. And I feel like, um, you know, I was a big part of Pete's existence in comedy and all that stuff. And so, you know, I feel like a show like Crashing, it's interesting because I feel like um, they got a, got a lot, got a lot, a lot of, th and then a lot of things felt very rushed. I felt how this process is. And I always feel like every time they do something with stand-up comedy, like the reason Punchline was not as good a movie it could have been, the reason that uh, Dying Up Here and all these things, it's like there's um, – it's funny. Last night I saw The um, uh, the Dirt, which was the Motley Crue story, and it was interesting because it was like – it was another thing where they just jumped to a thing. They're like, oh, okay, now we have a record deal. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like just the struggle of – not making it and not not being able to talk to people like Sarah Silverman and, and Artie Lang being mean to you or a, maybe a Voss instead or whatever it is. Like that's part of it. Like, you know, people these kids don't know, like Patrice and like these people come in and just annihilate these young comics, you know. And so it's funny with, with the way Crashing, it's like – they jump to like you know fourth episode. He's you know he's he's a warm up comic. You know working right. with Rachel Ray and he's got he's got health benefits. You're like what? You know it's like <laughs> <laughs> he's got health benefits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's like nine months in. You know I, what I mean? I've got nine thousand in my IRA. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it, <laughs> SD, I can have lobster. <laughs> oh, I, I'm uh, this uh, this is gonna bite me. But this is gonna bite me in the ass. But I think SD's uh, acting is what brought down crashing. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um no but it's interesting though it's like you know just whenever they depict stand-up comedy it's or any kind of art form it's always a little too quick you know i always felt let's stay a little on the on the broke story to me that's more interesting and isn't that what really if you're gonna call it crashing yeah. which means you are crashing why don't yeah. we see the crashing yeah well, more of more of that. That was the uh, yeah. That, I think that was about now you, crashing on couches. You have a personal. I love Pete Holmes, by the way. I adore him, and I saw oh, his. I saw his. Yeah, he's funny. His last special, and I think there's at least ten minutes. I mean, the whole thing is great, but there's ten minutes in there where he surprises everyone. He's like the new George Carlin. He is so brilliant. How did you? I never asked you that. What's your relationship with Pete Holmes? Uh, I taught him comedy. You know him. <laughs> 
<laughs> taught him comedy. Like, what does I, that mean? Did he, he just walk in well, off the street? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't ask the question and then talk. <laughs> I, got, I, I, I didn't want to back. I'm trying not to back away from the mic. <laughs> now you're way too close again. <laughs> and he's not talking about the mic. <laughs> Jesus, stop it. I'm going to let you watch this. Whenever that's red, the, see see how that is red. See how red that is. That's yes. bad. Oh, that's in the we red. don't want red. All right. Okay. So we want to stay right here. So no red. So I'm gonna have you watch the red. This is hilarious. You, you it is, but it's the truth. Even when I go on at the club, Dustin and I. Oh, have we have such to turn a, it down. I have to turn down the mic. No, but also you were you're so <laughs> lovingly watching me at every moment. You know oh, yeah. that at any yeah. moment something could go right or wrong. <laughs> well, we can tell the story of the uh, the bag on the head. That's one of my favorites. You want to tell the bag quickly and then go into Pete Holmes? Go ahead. Go really... ahead. Yeah, well, well one night I was doing Greenwich Village Comedy mm-hmm. Club, and uh, it was late at night. And I don't know. We didn't have a ton of people, and I wasn't getting any laughs. I mean, I was getting zero laughs. And I looked to the left of me, and some person has brought a slice of pizza in. First of all, they're bringing a slice of pizza in. They're eating it off a paper plate. And they didn't even hide the pa- the bag is on the yeah. so I was so doing so bad badly is that the correct right? I put the paper bag from the this is how much pizza they had I put this paper huge paper bag over my head <laughs> and continued to tell jokes and then I hear Dustin's voice <laughs> oh I'm laughing in the back and of course you're going long because you can't see the light. <laughs> <laughs> Dustin goes, that's genius. You finally found a way to blow the light, and I can't yell at you. I can't yell at you. Hilarious. Uh, so you do have a very, and that'll segue into Pete, but you do have such a loving. Well, here's the, here's the thing with me. It's like I will say this, and I will say it with conviction, and I will say it with pride, and I will say it as matter-of-factly as I can. Um, the problem with New York City comedy is there's a huge problem with new talent. And the problem with new talent, everybody thinks just because somebody's new and hip or they look a certain way or a certain race or whatever, they should get on stage. And I think you have to be a really good comic to pick and be a part of new talent and the upbringing of new talent. And I think that's why um, the cellar is the worst place um, they have not picked anybody good in a really long time. They just take people that, you know, that we farm over at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club and make funny, and then they get passed over there. But they're not seeking out new talent. And my, I always tell people it's like the hardest thing and the most blessed thing you can find in comedy is when somebody likes you when you suck. You know, somebody likes you when you just can't quite figure it out, but they see that thing. And Pete Holmes was one of those guys. He was my barker. And he also, Nate Bargatze was my barker. When I ran the Boston Comedy Club the last two years at the Boston, I, I ran that whole thing. And they were guys that, um, you know, would just stand on the streets and bark and all that stuff. And then I kind of mentored them. I gave them their first road gigs. And I kind of, you know, just, you know how it is. You do this a lot with comics where you just kind of take them under your wing mm-hmm. and you find guys. And then, you know, but there's been like hundreds of those guys. But, you know, then you find certain guys that, that really kind of latch on to the things that you tell them and the things you share with them. And, you know, and it's just like, and you, and I also feel that certain guys will get favoritism towards me because I feel like they're the ones that are able to handle being an MC or they're the ones that be, be able to handle closing the show. And so then you put them in those positions and then they get that confidence and they get the thing and then they start to feature on the road and you work with them. You know, so he was one of those guys that I just kind of like, um, you know, saw at the open mics and started talking to me and then he started barking for me and so he's just kind of been in my life uh, from the beginning you know he's he's so unusual in the best way because he seems so gentle so not malicious so not roast battle so how did you develop that with him instead of like trying to make him something he wasn't well it's more about me than him (laughs) (laughs) it is it is. It's why? like there's a reason why the Giants suck without Coughlin. Like there's a reason. 
It's, I'm serious. Um, people don't know how to cultivate talent in this country. A lot of them run a comedy club and they go and they go out of town. They don't know. They don't know the comics that play their club. You know, I'm not going to mention they, any names. They say, <laughs> 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 but there's and then there's a lot of clubs that like you know like the cellar where it's just like they have an attitude about who they are, but they don't really like seek out the best people. They don't. They don't like cultivate. They, you know, the funny about that club is like a lot of times it's like. You know, um, comics feel they can't bomb and they can't grow, and because everybody's watching their set and they send the tapes and the, you know the waitresses take notes and things. So there's a lot of things that happen with cultivating talent, and you just start to see somebody that you know. With him, it was like, it was funny because you know he had a wholesomeness to him that I knew would work. I had a club that I was running in uh, Salt Lake City, and uh, or outside Salt Lake, it was like Orem, Utah, and a friend of mine from college. Um, opened a comedy club, and so I booked it, and I booked New York comics there. But uh, you had to be clean, you know? And, he, and so I remember, like, that was his first headlining gig was this club called Fat, Dumb, and Happies. And it was in Orm, Utah. They had no alcohol and whatever. And But, you know, one thing I knew about him is we were all trying to be David Tell. And the thing is with trying to be David Tell or trying to be Kennison or trying to be – it's a long road. I don't have to tell you. And, you know, we're guys that, like, if, you know, if we had gone down... Because Gaffigan started dirty. And then he got it. And then he figured it out, like, there's way more money mm-hmm. if I just clean this up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he, you know, he was... Like, when I saw that he wanted to be clean, I said, that's money. Like, st- hang on to that, you know? And so it's funny, though, but he got a lot of shit for that. Because even in, even in uh, Crashing, there's a scene where he gets mad because they think he's, like... You know, he's like, I had this, I forget, because I used to call it the CBGBs of comedy, and they put that in there, whether it's like, because the fuck this CBGBs of comedy stuff, you know what I mean? Like, he like he felt like he wasn't edgy enough. Mm-hmm. Like, that's something that he always kind of, like, mm-hmm. felt like he wasn't, like, one of us because of that. But then it ended up really working for him, because it was kind of a mass appeal when you're clean. Well, how psychologically, um, I started out a clean comedian, uh, how psych, and then I just became more like I was off stage, but... Did he ever come to you and say, like, hey, Dustin, I feel like, I guess I'm saying this because this is what I'm asking. Like, a lot of times I feel like the other comedians don't respect me or they think I'm full of shit. Or did, did he have psychological things like that? No, did he, did he I don't complain think so. About? I don't think so. Because I, the thing is with me is, like, I'm a, you know, it's like I believe in being, like, just kind of, you know, there's a lot of responsibility when you're kind of, like, the head of the you know the comedians and far as like the locker room environment if you will if there is such a thing there and by the way there are no lockers in comedy and that's why punchline is a a ridiculous movie because we don't have our own lockers (laughs) but i think there's a vibe that nobody has time to do that you either crush on stage or you don't and if you don't then you get better maybe on the, the the next night you'll crush and so i think i have a very loving environment with the comics and we're all like band of brothers and I treat everybody the way I want to be treated and we all have a good time. I don't know if it's, can I say this? I know you're a loving person, but I don't think that's what it is. We know when you put us in the game. Well, you're not going to be there if I don't think you're funny. Right. You're like, you're my quarterback and you stand behind us. And that is so important when you go on stage because I do a lot of gigs where they're like, I'm not sure if I should have booked this guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm there because everybody says book me, but yeah. sometimes the club, I don't know. But so when Pete first worked, I know well, people. Well, first of all, I just want to say this. Anybody I've ever put on stage and believed in, every single one of them is doing great. Nate just has a Nate is special, great, by the he, way. He just released a special today, like on Netflix, is our special. Nate Bargazzi for Nate people Bargazzi, listening. Nate uh, uh, Mark Norman, Joe List, uh, Dan Soder. I mean, the, the list goes on. They're Say all them, people. though, because people want to hear But that. that's the thing. is like, you know, it's just... And you put them on at Greenwich Village Comedy put Club. Put them at Boston Comedy Club and way before Greenwich. Like, wow. they, I was putting people on before that. So, you know, I'm not trying to toot my horn, but, you know, but I do feel there is something that... Uh, that's what... it. It's what hurts comedy, is people, like book their friends instead of booking somebody that's... Or they're trading. I never realized how much trading of gigs. I'm sorry, but I can't put you on a gig, put my name on you if you can't do the job. That's not going to happen. Yeah. No, absolutely. But I think think people are... I I love the show Crashing, and I know it got canceled, and I love Pete Holmes, and I think I just love the fact that 
he seems to stick to his guns. But I want to know, like you said, I don't think he sticks to his guns. He's trying different things. Like that's the thing is, is like now he's uh, he's going dirtier. Like uh, Pete Holmes is going dirty. Yeah, he had a special. His special's called Dirty Clean, and then like he said, fuck on HBO a lot. Didn't seem that dirty, but then again, look at me. No, but I think he's trying to like he's skating around it a little. All right, you see, I I do exactly what I want to do. Yeah. I have never. If you hire me for a, for a synagogue gig, I do kosher comedy. It has to be one hundred percent clean. That's a different thing because if as a human being, I'm not going to go up to your priest and rabbi and say, "How the fuck are you?" I have manners, but yeah. I don't ever tailor my act. I just express myself. When I hear talk about being dirty the other night, something happens. So before I go on, because you're going to hear about it. Oh, go ahead. The, uh, the booker goes to me, they go, you know, listen, you really don't have to be clean. I thought you did, but you really don't have to be clean. So I go up there, and I'm just murdering talking about sex. And I turn to a woman about 45 in the audience, and I go, you have a face that just looks like it's begging to be slapped with, with a cock, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and people are screaming, and she's screaming laughing. Yeah. She's screaming laughing, too. And I go, I knew it. I knew you. And... Afterwards, the other booker goes, what type of face is that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, see, yeah, and you're hilarious. And I think that's what makes, you know, the fact that you will say something like that is outrageous. You know, And I don't even mean it. It was a compliment. Oh, I know. I I thought she was very, very sexy. So has... has it gone wrong? It seems like, because I always wonder, I've always talked to people about you, and I'm like, I wonder what wonder what happens when it doesn't, I mean, <laughs> like, there's got to be times when it just gets crazy. Like, there's got to be- Of course it's gone wrong. What are you, nuts? <laughs> well, the walking I'm out- on your podcast, you're not on my <laughs> podcast. Of course it's gone wrong. Nobody's looking what's, on my. I'm, what's, what's, I'm using Bobby Flay as a credit. I don't have Letterman. Oh, of course, it's gone oh, wrong. I was a yeah. I think Bobby Flay. No, it's great, great, but of course it went wrong. Well, me, I've been doing comedy me. since the seventies. I don't have one TV special. Of course, it went wrong. Tell me, I want to know, like, like when you're um, you're in those moments where it's just like people, because I because when people don't like think that you know you're in a comedy club sometimes you know what i mean like i always i always do the like the like hey, it's a comedy club i point to the comedy right, club right, sign right. like i'm like hello comedy i'm not your bartista like right. i'm we're telling dick That's jokes funny. you yeah, know yeah, yeah. like i'm like i'm not your accountant like i'm not teaching your children like i'm like yeah, what do you think is yeah. gonna go on here yeah. well have you gotten punched at all uh yes fights? let me tell you no 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 i'm very lucky with that fight. yeah you did oh broadway yeah i got knocked upside the head oh you but didn't you knock the guy out afterwards? What happened? Well, I hit him with the mic stand. He ran up the thing. Kind of like I kind of gimped him out a little bit. He By ran the way, out. comedy one on one. Since I'm a coach too, the mic stand is your friend. Oh, is that bass? You kidding me? You kill somebody with that? Didn't you remember years ago there was a guy playing guitar and they rushed the stage and he yes. broke the guitar over it's somebody's classic. head? I talked about that before. I want this guy. I want to find that guy. I have him on the show. Yeah, let's he's my find hero. That guy. He's my hero. Kabong! <laughs> El- I hit him with my kabonger. Quick draw, McGraw. Okay, yeah, give, it's give going me one bad. hell. Give me one hell gig. I want to hear one hell gig because I got to wrap this up. So one, one hell gig of Steve. Well, Marshall. how about the prom show? I was doing at New York Comedy Club and there's everybody. All the kids are laughing, and there's two people sitting in the audience and they're not laughing. I go. I'm funny. Everybody's laughing. And then I look at them and I go, they look a little old. And I go, who are you guys? What Are you with the high school? They go, we're not with the high school. <laughs> <laughs> I go, excuse me. I abandon the stage, yeah. go out to the front, get the manager and go, get those two fucking grownups out of there. <laughs> All right. The manager goes in. I must have dawdled a little. As I go through, there's a little hallway in New York Comedy Club where you're trapped the two guys come towards me. They're leaving. I'm trying to go back to the stage. You're not going to believe me. One of them, I notice, has half an arm. Oh, no. He takes the half an arm stub and punches me. Oh, it wasn't Bob Gollum. So- <laughs> <laughs> That's how Bob Gollum opens his show. And he does. He punches me in the solar plex with it. I could have gotten killed. Oh, my God. Are you nuts? Do you know how many times I've been yelled at? You're yeah. not funny. You're a racist. You you suck. A woman comes up to me after a show with the Borgata, a Jewish woman, and tells me your those cheap Jew jokes are making us look bad. And then she proceeds to tell me a Holocaust joke. I mean, this. Do you know how many bad things have happened to me? Are you serious? That's the what makes me funny. 
What makes me funny is that I'm educated, I know better, but I want the risk. When you go to the circus and you see the tightrope walker, you're not going, oh, look at the skill. You're going, I hope they fall, then we get our money's worth. People are watching to see if I fall, and sometimes I fall bad. Are you serious? I had a person at New York Comedy Club stand up with a beer bottle in their hand and threatened to throw it at me. I mean, at Pip's Comedy Club, a guy comes in late, and I'm talking about Italians, and he's got a camel sport coat on. You think this is a stereotype. He sits the entire 30 minutes with one hand under his breast pocket like he's got a gun, with the other Italian with his hand around him. Are you serious? Go wrong? The whole thing has gone wrong. Great. Do you want to plug anything? <laughs> Please make it go right. I had... Just but thank you, Dustin. Thank no, you, Dustin. You said so many nice no, things that I need to hear. It's so great because you were. I, it was funny yesterday. Um, I had a show and it was uh, it was a five o'clock show, which you know that's always like could go either way. You know what I mean? Anything, anything, anything with the sun out is never the best situation for comedy, in my opinion. And uh, and I was like, you know, I, I think I went Trump too hard with Trump stuff, and they were like Long Island Republicans and stuff. So it was like, it was a good set, but it was still weird or whatever. And then I started talking to somebody, and I said, you know, this reminds me of what I saw one time. I saw uh, a clip of ACDC uh, with Bon Scott on like a morning show. And he came, Bon Scott came out in like a, like a dress and like lipstick. And then like, and then you, and like, they're just going hard and like, just, and then you look into the audience and it's just like, they just have no idea what is happening. You know, they have that look in their eyes, like, okay, you know, uh, you know, like they weren't ACDC yet. So it was like, it was interesting to watch this element where I think even, you know, where they had the, to the element of danger and yeah. taking a risk shows authenticity. Now, yeah. if you're not David Tell, don't be David Tell. Yeah. But uh, can I tell the Dangerfield story? There's a black gentleman yeah. sitting up front in the in the crowd, and I'm doing my black jokes. You know what I mean? How I want to be black. I wish I had a big black cock and white balls. You know the whole thing. You know <laughs> the, the two tone of the huge. Right? How I like to eat black pussy because it looks like German chocolate cake. I don't know why anybody would be offended. So he goes to me. You better stop talking about those things. And I go, I'm not stop talking about those things. You better stop talking about that. He's in the front row pointing yeah. at me. He goes, because if you don't, I'm going to knock you out. So I go, let me tell you something. I wouldn't be here booked if I didn't do this every night. So you know what? You could sit there and listen. And I ain't stopping. And I didn't, okay, because nice. I had to show that I had some courage. And I said, you can meet me after the show if you want to fight. And I've done this before. As soon as I get off stage, Chario, the 85-year-old vampire, grabs me, <laughs> takes me downstairs. He's afraid for my life. Okay. I come in a week later. He goes, Steve, you're very lucky. That black guy came back with five other black guys. <laughs> I, I told him, you're not here. I looked out for you. A week later, I run into Tracy Morgan. He says to me, we went to Dangerfields last week. I brought the head writer from my show to come see you. And Chario said you weren't there. I said, I was there. I was there. I was there. So does this go right? It never goes right. That's why I'm funny. <laughs> That's how you close out a podcast, everybody. That's why I brought in the ringer. <laughs> See, Marshall, thank you so much uh, for being a, on the show. Yeah, yeah, Very cool. Would you like to plug anything? Yes. What, what oh, well, first I just want to say yeah. thank you. Please come to Greenwich Village Comedy Club, please. Sure. In addition to that, uh, could you please uh, go to my Instagram? B and Dangerfields. Go to Dangerfields. And Dangerfields yeah. is great, too. We need you more over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> please, because we want to work on a yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> and Dustin and I need a place yeah. to hide out Greenwich from the other fine. comedians. Greenwich is fine. Go, yeah. to, go to Dangerfields, yeah. So go to my Instagram, Be Calm, Don't Behave. I had it way before all the Be Calm things. I've had it over 20 years. B-E-C-A-L-M, yeah. Be Calm, Don't Behave on Instagram. Don't Behave on Twitter. Don't be anything. Don't behave. It means. <laughs> but you've, you, I mean, you've held on to that, man. You're just like, I ain't letting go. I'm the. Are you I'm serious? <laughs> My email is prodigy. My email is prodigy. You know what? You know how that that makes you look when you show that they they just put you in a nursing home. They give you applesauce. They don't give you anything you could chew when you give that email address. It's hilarious. So, uh, uh, and I'm stevemarshallcomedy.com. Yeah. Steve Marshall so. Comedy. But would you please, please write us today? Like it, don't like it, yeah. whatever. Boo, mm -hmm. yay. I need some feed. You, you're right. I live off the energy, the energy of the audience. Right. I, I need to know you were listening. Go, go see Steve Marshall live. You won't regret it. It's a f uh, funny 
this ridiculous, outrageous, uh, interactive. Uh, he might touch you. Like it's a, it's a whole <laughs> sit thing. on you. I've sat <laughs> on the audience. <laughs> yeah, he might steal your nachos. Like it's one of those. I've done that things. so many times at Dangerfields. I will stop and eat the fries. <laughs> oh, and then I know. the other day, I yeah. took the time because I want to show how relaxed I am. I took time to yeah. put ketchup on and everything. <laughs> It's a lot of fun, Steve Marshall. Uh, please look out for him and <laughs> support him. him. Look out! He might he might be on the, you know might be on the E train. He might do thirty minutes. Who knows? But uh, great having you on today is a lot of fun. It's always cool. I love having you on and uh, talking to you in any capacity is always a good time. And uh, you can uh, follow us uh, Twitter. Uh, leave you with this. Uh, also on Facebook. Leave you with this. And uh, I do comedy coaching. If you want to check Outlaw Comedy Coaching on Facebook, you can check that out. We can make you a comedian. You can have uh, yourself one of these crazy lives of telling <laughs> jokes and getting respect and not getting respect and loving it and hating it and all those beautiful feelings and emotions that come with doing something that's not normal because <laughs> we weren't hugged enough as children. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I'll leave you with this. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.